The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. No Lauren Gunn here today. Uh, she is still grinding it out. You know, T4s are coming in at a quickness. I, I, I only took one accounting class in my life, so I only know certain things to make jokes about. Last week, it was debits and credits. Today, balance sheets. So she's she's grinding. Okay, she'll be back next week. She'll be all right. She's, she's just working. We do have a guest this week, though, ladies and gentlemen, someone that I've done podcasts with before, someone that I've I've frequented the the Raptors timeline with uh, a good amount. This is Iman Adan. She is a, uh, a, a Yahoo Sports contributor, Dishes and Dimes host, as always, and founder, if you will. Uh, and she's also a, uh, a host for Hoopstresses. So how are you doing, Iman? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm glad to have you on the podcast uh it's it's always a pleasure i think we had a conversation a couple of days ago that was on the timeline and i figured we might as well have this conversation here it's an important conversation to have a podcast is probably the best way to do it because it allows for nuance it allows for the back and forth dialogue that people wouldn't be able to understand on a twitter timeline um the conversation rooted yes no twitter is not for nuance twitter is for quote seating people into oblivion apparently um the the conversation was regarding the jj reddick and kendrick perkins back and forth uh they had a back and forth on on espn's first take uh, jj reddick essentially was alleging that kendrick perkins was saying that all these white reporters these these nba media voters for the mvp are being racially biased whatever that might mean to you you know what i mean um and a lot of people had opinions on it. The timeline had their opinions on it. I also shared my opinion multiple times, but one of the tweets that I had caught some flack. It caught it, it caught some some people were assaulting my character, if you will, because I said that, you know, they're because I said that that's probably not a conversation to have on first take. In so many words, at least that's what I meant. Uh I, I said that this isn't the conversation to be had on here. Why don't we just discuss basketball? If you're going to be talking about it, just talk about the basketball side of it because that you shouldn't be having that type of conversation in a first take back and forth type environment. Again, I'm not here to defend myself. Uh, I'm not here to talk about myself in general. You can believe what you want about me and, and who I am and what I stand for, but I'm not going to let someone try to attack my character, uh, try to attack who I am as a person. I, a lot of people um, don't know this who have followed my path and, and you know, kind of know my story. But I, I lost my father just last year and he was a civil rights activist back in Iran. And he is a person who he and my family have taught me better. One, to be able to speak for the for the people who don't have a voice and two, to be able to speak up for yourself if you're being attacked in some sort of situation. So I I felt like I had to bring this topic up and also to to have a platform to talk about it because I feel like it would be ridiculous to even assert that I'm the type of person 
the type of media personality that would try to profit off of the backs of athletes of color because that's what someone had alleged. Um, and I just think that's ridiculous. I think these type of conversations, the conversation that me and Amon are about to have is really important. It's crucial to the fabric of sports media, if you will. And I just think that there's better ways to have it than to try and assault someone's character when you don't know who they are. And when you don't know, you know, what they stand for, who they are, what kind of person they are. So I just, I would rather have this conversation via a podcast. And Iman, you're here now because I want to have that conversation. Because I think the perk JJ JJ Reddick back and forth was something that in that medium of first take of, you know, you have to get your take off, you have to get your opinion I don't think that's the platform to be discussing racial biases in sports media, which is something that definitely exists. So my question to you initially is what's your reaction? What's your initial reaction, at least to the whole Perk and JJ back and forth, if you will? Um, a couple of things. So I guess I think in terms of having that conversation, I think it's an important conversation to have on first take because of the audience that it has. Um, I think the style of first take is not one that I'm a fan of. Uh, I don't think that it lends itself for for good conversation and for productive conversation. It's just two people yelling at each other, essentially, which oftentimes you're not left leaving having learned anything. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that's a space that matters um, because it has the reach that it has. The fact of the matter is the vast majority of sports fans are not on Twitter, right? Like the vast majority of sports fans are just watching whatever they see on first take and that's what they're walking away with. And so to have these conversations, they need to happen at that level. And um, I think what JJ Reddick was supposed to have brought to a show like First Take is the nuance, is the sort of level-headedness. That's what he has kind of like this new age of media. And it's unfortunate that I think in this he kind of ended, I, I think that he's completely wrong. Um, and, and that's not to say that I think Kendrick Perkins is right about Nikola Jokic, but I think it's naive and quite frankly ignorant to assume that race doesn't play a factor. The NBA is not somehow shielded from the rest of the world. And if race permeates itself everywhere, it of course does yeah. in the NBA. And we also have like historical facts to prove like <laughs> that race plays a factor, not just in MVP voting, but in every sort of aspect of the way that this league operates and the way that all major sports leagues operate it's not a surprise that hockey allows fighting and in basketball if you stare down another player you're out of there right and we can trace this right back to a black man beating a white man in the middle of a game right like it comes directly to that so this is a league that of course race matters it matters in every part of it that's why there was a dress code at one point right like which didn't end until like the bubble um, like I don't I, when James Harden decided to start I don't know, dressing interesting in Russell Westbrook like that's when it kind of started to end but streetwear still not a thing um so race of course matters and I think it's important to have those conversations on a public platform as for the Twitter spat I mean I hope that I'm not here to sort of set anything I was on nobody's side in anything no I know I, know. Um, I should I, just... I should probably clarify it wasn't you <laughs> It wasn't you um, that we were, I was having to this, this, but, but here's the thing in yeah. terms of like profiting, I, I just, I feel like 
you know, and in the same way that I think in that conversation, I tried to defend you and say, like, there were other threads and there were other tweets. In this situation, I do feel the need to, like, defend a little bit of what Sidra's saying. I don't think, um, I don't think the idea of profiting off of um, black people is a dig at anyone in particular. The fact of the matter is the NBA is a black league. Anybody who's covering it is profiting off of black people. That is just like, that's not an attack on anyone in any way. It's just, if you are profiting profiting off of whether it be hip hop music or sports, pro sports in general, predominantly do- dominated by black males, that's just like, the the reality of things and I don't think that that was meant to be an attack on any that's not how I read it at the very least I mean I've been need her to like clarify any parts of it but the way that I read it is anytime I see someone talk about black people uh, or profiting off of anything it's like well the source that we're all t- hey got podcasts got podcasts what we write about what we talk about is yep. basketball players and the vast majority of them are black and um black culture and 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 Blackness is is tied so heavily into it. So I think that that isn't was never meant to be um, was never meant to be an attack. And in terms of, of where I think Twitter sort of is a difficult place to have these conversations. And it's something that, you know, and I was talking to a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours yesterday specifically about this topic. And one thing that I did mention was, you know, as someone who is not Jewish, when the Kyrie stuff came up, I recognize that, like, I, as someone who's incredibly vocal, incredibly opinionated, you'll see my opinions whether you want to see them or not. I do have very strong ones, and I will put them out there. I feel a little different when I'm speaking on issues of race because I recognize I've lived every single second of my life as a black person on this planet, but I've never lived a second on this planet as a Jewish person. I don't recognize, like, I can empathize with anti-Semitism because it's similar to racism and the fact that it's just bigotry that you're against there. But I recognize that there are nuances to it that I don't. And I recognize that even in the conversation of Kyrie Irving and the anti-Semitism there, so much of it is tied to an African-American experience that I also don't exist in, right? As someone who Mm -hmm. did not have my people stolen from, from their land and don't know where my history is, which is why so many people claim to be black Israelites. It's really just a story of slavery, a really unfortunate tale of when you steal people from their land, they try to find where their homeland is, right? And like, right. that's a part of the conversation. And so, you know, in, in uh, long story short, what I'm, what I'm really trying to say is like, when I was speaking on that, I really knew that no matter what I said, and I got a lot of DMs, and I got a, and I got a lot of quote tweets, <laughs> I, get, I get tons of quote tweets, where people were, where I recognized the way that I needed to have that conversation was a little bit different than I could have other conversations. And that's fair and that's valid because I never want to step on anyone's feelings. And I think Twitter is a place that you're probably going to step on anyone's feelings no matter what you say. Um, But I think if if everyone leads with this idea of like just being charitable to each other and trying to understand what the other person is saying um, and, and giving that little bit of grace. But I think that like, even heated conversations like that, I think they're beneficial. Like, you know, I was reading the rest of the exchange and I chimed in to try to diffuse it because I looked at it and I was like, I think both people are on the same side here. Um, I think that it's important to have those conversations and show that like, not everything needs to be an attack on anyone's character. Like there are larger conversations to have. And sometimes it is important to sort of step back and see, how did I phrase this? Because if other people feel this way, and which is 
exactly what J.J. Reddick, I think, does wrong in this situation is Kendrick Perkins is telling you how he feels instead of reacting by being defensive over white media now that you're a part of it. Take a step back and say, why does he feel this way? What could be leading to this? Which is, I think, something that's so important when we have conversations about racism, because the fact of the matter is every single one of us has racial biases. Every, like, black people are anti-black, right? Because we live in a white supremacist system. We live in a white supremacist world. It's something that we all have to unlearn. And to some extent, it's ingrained in all of us. And so it's constantly a learning process. And it's constantly a moment of, like, a need for self-reflection and, right. and, and understanding things. And I think too often because racism is seen as an attack on someone's character and it's seen as like, no, I, I try to be good. It's like, but that's not what's necessarily being said because I think we're all good people. I think we all lead. I think JJ Reddick, it, you know, considers himself a good person. I'm pretty sure he considers himself an anti-racist and he, he believes that like, Hey, the media members that I'm friends with also good people, also anti-racist, but that doesn't, that doesn't remove the fact that we all operate under biases and these biases are not restrictive to just white people. Black people have them too because guess what? We're all born in the world. We're all taught that blonde hair, blue eyed Barbies are the epitome. We're all <laughs> taught that like, hey, clutch your purses a little bit more when there's a black person walking by. These are things that don't just exist in white spheres, but they exist in media and they exist in the world. And as long as we're all citizens of it, we're all fed it. And so I think the conversation of racism just gets so tricky and it gets so personal because it, it's seen as a slight, but really everyone has to unlearn and everyone has a bit, every single human being, I don't care who you are, you have a bit of anti-black racism that you have to unlearn because it is so just deeply ingrained, which is a part right. of the conversation that we're having too in the way that people talk about Kendrick. It pisses me off the way that people talk about Kendrick and yeah, I've done it too, but like not to this extent where it's like, he can't articulate himself. He can't string three words together. It's like, let's I want to talk about that. Let's dissect I talk what about... that means. Yeah, right. sorry. I talk That's a lot. Important. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> I, I, I brought, I brought you on here because I feel like you're, you have a clarity of thought, and, and you know, there's a unique skill to be when able you to verbally... ramble. Right. You just get yeah. all thoughts out. <laughs> no, but, but it, I will say it's a unique skill to be able to ramble the way, not ramble. Ramble, ramble. is like a weird it's way okay. to put it, but you know what I mean? Like to, to speak the way you do, but to articulate it in a way that is, it, it feels as if more if it's like a five paragraph essay than it is just people like uh, computing words down. You know what I mean? Um, I, I will say, I think to the Kendrick Perkins point, and you said a lot there, so I'm just <laughs> trying to process what part to tackle first let's start with what was the Kendrick Perkins part I think the attack on what he is as a person I saw some stuff about him not being articulate or the language that he's using etc etc I think that's part of the the problem right there yeah. from what we've we've seen and I think in a sidebar and I understand it's a different situation but if we look at the John Morant situation and the way people are using that that is also something that caught my mind. It's like, okay, if John Morant was a white player who had the same situation happen to him, how would the people react to that? I guarantee you people would not be calling him a thug. I guarantee you there would be different – you know what I mean? There would be different language used for a white player who would be caught with a gun who is who has done whatever versus jaw. Uh, I think the the difference in language is so key and also to the point of Twitter – Using that language and back to the original tweet, I guess, of, of what I had said, I think 
being cognizant of that language is something that everybody has to do. Uh, I, I mean, I, I speak for myself, but obviously going at things with a certain intention doesn't always mean that those things will be digested with the same intention that you had going into it. When I'm, when I tweet something like, Oh, why are these guys talking about this when we should just be talking about basketball and the, the intentionality of it behind that is me saying, Oh, like this is not the, the platform because you guys are asking for one minute takes on some kind of thing. That it's why you can't I do talk- threads. It's why I right. do threads. Cause like one tweet is never going to be enough. Cause there's so much context that gets missed. And yeah. like, that's the unfortunate reality. And I, uh, hey, I've had tweets where I'm like, oof, I did not mean it in that way. Let me clarify by doing X, Y, and Z, which I think is like, it's a fair thing to say. Cause I, I, I think the way that like, like I said, I think I see both sides. Like it sounds so centrist, which is like the worst thing in the world to be to me. But like, <laughs> I'm looking at this and I'm like, I can get why it's like, hey, and, and I tweeted this even before I saw this, but like, I was like, cause I was seeing so many of my media member friends and even in like DMs and stuff where it was just like, and I was telling people like, no, these are important conversations to have. We can't just be like, look at the numbers because as much as we want to say that, if players feel this way, let's just take a moment. And let's like, this is an important conversation to have, especially in a black league to be like, mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about racism. Actually, it's not fun. It's not comfortable for anybody to have these discussions, but it is. And one thing that I did want to add just um, about the John Morant point and the Kendrick Perkins point, I think even outside of if it was a white player, would we be talking about this in this way? It's like, what is the reality of the socioeconomics of a lot of the black players in the league and where they come from, right? Like, look at what we're seeing with Sean Kemp today in the news, right? Like, right. what, yeah. like, I, re- I think I was listening, I think it was Karan Butler, uh, no, was it Richard Lewis? Ooh, I can't remember who it was. But someone <laughs> probably shouldn't be doing the racism. Hey, black people. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, I can do it on black guys. It's allowed. Uh, <laughs> I checked it. It was allowed. I get the pass. But um, no, I, I forget who it was. But someone was on um, the Zach Lowe pod. And they were talking about their story to the NBA. And Kendrick Perkins also did his story. And it's, it's, it's hey, these guys have really really interesting backstories and i remember his his whole thing was if his parole officer didn't allow him to leave and go play in a gym because scouts were coming he would have never made the nba and he'd probably be in prison right like it was just right. like little things like that like like to me even in cover and i don't know what john morant's background is i don't like i hear mixed stories online and it's not something that i've ever decided to go and dig into well that's but, part of it that's part of it there's mixed yeah. stories online because people so create their own you know yeah. they, so, they create their own so narrative. Many. and we, we hear it with like you know damar was a raptor for how long we've heard these stories and we know the backgrounds yeah. of where these people come like where a lot of these players come from and so to me it's like we can't have these conversations without talking about the socioeconomics of race in America and why things might be different, why a white kid might not be in the same situation if he's just a kid from the suburbs. And here, the fact of the matter is the NBA and demographics of the league is completely changed. And now everybody seems to be a suburban kid who's biracial. But like, besides the point, (laughs) there are still people who come from underprivileged backgrounds and um, I, I don't, I yep. can't speak to Jaw's story, but there are talks about, was he a creep? Was he, I, I don't know. I don't know any of that. And I think it's not fair yeah. for us to speculate on any of that. But the fact of the matter is a lot of these conversations, even in regards to Kendrick Perkins and the way he sounds and the way he speaks, it's like, let's, let's have a broader conversation about what that means and how mm-hmm. it's actually anti-black because, hey, 
the world doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's, there are lots and lots of, there's lots and lots of history behind this too, which is also uh, the point of this Nikola Jokic conversation is the league doesn't exist in a vacuum. The Nikola Jokic MVP conversation, and a spoiler alert, I think he should be MVP, but the conversation isn't about just this year. Because it's not that this year exists in a vacuum. And if you listen to people having this conversation, they keep bringing back other years. They keep bringing back so much more, you know, the fact that the last person to win three MVPs in a row was Larry Bird. <laughs> like, also a white have, man. Also a white, white man in a league right. with Michael Jordan, in a league with LeBron James, right? Like, right. I, I think it was Jason Maples who had that tweet. And it's like, yeah, that's stark. And that's something that, like, let's have these conversations, right? Because it it's so much broader. I mean, I, I kind of, and I'm jumping ahead here, but, like, I was saying that, like, even the conversation of, like, race and MVP, it's not about giving it to a white man over a black man, right? Because LeBron James didn't win the 2011 MVP because of racism, point blank, period. And who won it? A black man, Derrick Rose. But at the end of the day, what it was, was how dare the audacity of this black man to hold the decision and like superstar entitlement and empowerment. And like it, it enraged people. And the media, the media that turned on him. Right. They were the ones that demonized him. Yeah. Fans, fans fans added to it, right? Fans and media. And it's, but, but that's the whole, so that's like the whole ecosystem of the NBA. It is fans. It is media. Right. right? And you know, to me, it's just like all of this, all of this is intertwined and we'd be ignorant and we'd be naive to pretend that it isn't right. Like how, like it wasn't that long ago that we were all making jokes about the fact that like, you know, coaches who are black are considered player coaches and coaches who are white are considered right. X and O coaches. Um, you know, players who are white are like savvy and like, look at his sneaky athleticism and players who are black. Oh, he's incredibly athletic, but is he very smart? And the conversation of IQ, even IQ in general, basketball just the, IQ is like basketball IQ. Yeah. And so, and, Hey, you want to talk about basketball like you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen to the way people talk about Nikola Jokic versus Joel Embiid. Right. Uh, or Bam changed. Adebayo. Or, or Bam Adebayo and right. um, Simonis. Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. change. Uh, it hasn't changed very much. And and I think that, like, the conversation about race in, in, in media and racism in, in basketball, I think with J.J. Redick, I think what he got caught up in. And honestly, yes, I'm going to be honest. I think... Part of, part of like, and I can understand feeling like you're being attacked, but I think what people get too caught up in is like, it's not a personal attack. It's, it's something that like, we can all register, that we can all recognize sort of exists and let's see why does someone feel this way? Let me clarify. And I think your tweets to clarify it were perfectly fine. I thought that they explained it very well. JJ Reddick has not done that very, yet at all. And like, right. that's something that I would like to see. Cause Hey JJ, no one is attacking your friends. No one is saying that like some white journalist is like, grr, I hate black people. I'm going to definitely vote for a white person. That's not what we're saying. We're saying there's implicit bias. We're saying in the way the discourse is had in the way these conversations are had, um, it, there, there is a racial bias. And I think too much of the conversation has also turned into black and white where it's like well only this percentage of the media is white it's like yeah 20 percent of the media is black they get these voting things so like when we're talking right. about like what this falls into there's a whole group of people that we're just not including at all um and i i just think that like that does no disservice uh that does no service i should say uh and does everybody a disservice because oh this conversation can be tiring it's exhausting it's a well tough one i to i'm sorry i well you know what you're just you're spitting so many uh like facts that i just sorry, i kind of want to just let you go. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no you're good. You're good. 
Hey, listen, it is what it is. You, If you were the co-host of this podcast, my life would be easy as hell. Just <laughs> ask the question, call it a day. No, I, I will say, um, and shout out to Lauren, shout out to you, hopefully be back on Monday. But the, the thing I wanted to ask you when it comes to media is look, we've both been in these rooms of media, press conferences, whatever, right? You're in, you're in a thing, whether it be media centric or not, you're, even in workplaces, right? We've, we've been in, in media centric workplaces. I've worked for multiple publications. You've worked for multiple publications. We see that the, the majority of these media things are covered by older, whiter crowds. And I, I guess in recent years, we see a shift. I feel like I've seen a bit of a shift. There's more voices. There's a diversity of the voices as well. Do you feel that shift? Do you feel like it is improving in that sense where where there are more voices, where there are more diverse voices also? Yeah, definitely. And, And I think that like the internet has been the great equalizer for a lot of this because I mean, we all got our start online. Um, and you know, there weren't a lot of places that were like, Hey, um, 16 year old black girl, what is your take on Andrea Pagnani? But I got online <laughs> and started talking about it. And then I had people being like, Hey, do you want to get paid to, to share this opinion? And it's like, yeah, cool. Um, so, um, being online is, is sort of the great, the great equalizer. And, and I mean, the internet as, as Raptor fans, we saw it, I think probably, probably more than most fan bases, because I always say, you know, for the longest time, Sportsnet and TSN was not given uh, <laughs> basketball any love. Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, the American media obviously have no desire to cover the Raptors either because why would they? So where Raptor fans all turned to was online. And so you have publications like Raptors Republic and you have Raptors HQ and you have all these like online spaces that existed for a long time to score um, that just yep. put out really great Raptors content. And so... Um, that's what changed, that's what changed it all, right? And, and even still, because blogging is an expensive thing to do, right? Like, podcasting is an expensive thing to do. You don't start yeah. out making money. And so the fact of the matter is, still, um, the, it, it's not as diverse as it should be, as it needs to be, as it, you know, I think will be in another 10 years, but it's changed. And, um, and that's great because, that's the only way that like things in the NBA, that's the only way that we have these conversations, right? If, if it was just left up to um, Kendrick Perkins and JJ Reddick on ESPN, then this would be the end of it, but it wasn't. Instead, yeah. Twitter is here and has dragged the conversation out for days and days and days and days because people right. online are like, no, actually, this is an important conversation to have. And just because you don't feel like Kendrick Perkins is articulating his arguments in the way that you want to hear them doesn't mean that his argument isn't valid in any way or that we shouldn't dissect it further. Whether or not it's valid, it's worth dissecting. It's worth looking into. It's worth trying to understand where he comes from. And that wasn't something that JJ Reddick was willing to do, but that's something that people online have been willing to do, which is why we're seeing these conversations continue. So has it changed? Yeah, but not as much as you want it to because you can still look at ESPN and you can still look at the big publications and not see a whole lot of diversity, right? Like they, right. <laughs> International Women's Day, they had women doing one broadcast. I thought, you know, tuning into the Raptors game, I thought I would see more women, but no, you know, Mike Breen and Mark Jackson, okay, sure. Um, so not as much as you want it to, but um, it's a start. It's a start, yeah. I, I want to uh, piggyback off, off something you mentioned MVP-wise. In terms of the voting 
what we see with I mean, I feel like that's part of this conversation, too, is is diversifying the pool of voters. Do you think there one is there an issue right now, in in your opinion, when it comes to voting for these awards? And two, I have a few possible solutions here listed out. Want to hear your opinion on them just to see what you think. OK, first one, a panel of elected voters. So you get the everybody's going to end up voting for Nikias Duncan, Steve Jones Jr., Zach Lowe, right? All those guys, right? They're, they're going to get the votes, right? A panel of elected voters that we trust their opinions in. Is that something that you think would make a lot of sense? Is that not what's happening now? Sorry. But, but well, like, I mean, I guess it would be a smaller pool. Though. Okay, so it would okay. be like, it would be like, so like Ryan Rosillo does not get a vote. Yes, Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons get cut off from the situation. <laughs> but like, yeah, it'd be like 10 voters versus I don't know how many how many MVP voters there are right now, like 190. The yeah. other the other thing is the other thing is you could broaden the voter pool, include more people, include international and a whole aspect of this that we didn't really touch on is like the xenophobia aspect of yeah. the NBA and and how that's that's like rampant as well. So maybe opening up the pool to have more international voters, maybe that's a way to go um, or just making the parameters for qualifying for the MVP stricter. So being like, hey, this guy has to play this many minutes, has to average this many, whatever. Do it that way. What What do you think on that front? Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't think limiting it is great because we're still going to get the, you know, should Andre Iguodala have beaten Stephen Curry, which like wrote a piece about it. No, he shouldn't have. Uh, right. For finals MVP. So I just, I feel, and also, I think, I think it's too, I think, I think that's too limited. I think that's too, maybe I would like it. <laughs> but like, I mean, it, it is something to sit here's about. Here's the thing: yeah. you, you, there would be less conversation, and I think the NBA would never do it because there's not going to be any drama. You're not going to get Tim Bontemps doing a straw poll every like you know two months or something because like there's only right. ten people that you got to talk to. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to be. I think it would be a little different. I think the NBA wouldn't like it because there would just be less content. We wouldn't be talking about the MVP in March, <laughs> right? Like. Um, <laughs> First week of market and talking about MVP. So, like, I, I just – I think it might – there's also, like, you know, so much, like, hoopla about Stephen Curry winning the first unanimous MVP. We would never have anything like that because it's 10 people. It better be unanimous. Like, what are you guys even doing? Right. Um, yeah. So, I think that that's – I think that's a little, little different. Also, like, a lot of pressure on the 10 people. Um, but – so – but, like – kind of like it though because like then you just cut out the conversation do i like the content that it's given yeah i mean well like thinking about it now um i guess you make it so that the importance of those 10 people because i mean look at it from a political perspective like we talk about like lobbyists right now you have people that would be at at like openly lobbying for certain people. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I necessarily love that. I'm just thinking about it in my like head. William like William Liu are. had every single person that he could find that was a voter that <laughs> on the show. Right. And guess what? Pascal Siakam made an all-NBA team. It worked. <laughs> right. Lobbying exactly. guys works. Yeah. Exactly. So I just, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I, I think – I don't know if this current uh, situation, I mean, the way that they do it now is the ideal situation, but it's definitely the situation that the NBA likes the most. Yeah, it's good for content. Like you said, it it creates good, you know, whether it be good content or not, it definitely creates content. It creates, you know, 
all all content is good content. Um, I guess we'll we'll get to the crux of of. The I like your last one. You I like your last one. That's Which my is favorite. But like, but also limiting it away. Not yeah. uh, not lim- like um creating a like because my whole thing the whole thing with the MVP is that there's no rubric. There's no clear like defensive player of the year. Who is the best defender? Pretty pretty mm-hmm. simple. Uh, sixth man of the year, like there is no real rubric, but it's generally like who scores the most off the bench. Um, yeah. But MVP, it's like, are you the best player? Are you the most valuable player? What does value mean? You know, are you valuable if you're the best player on a 45 win team, but everybody else is like a bench player, basically? <laughs> like, right. like it just it changes. The, the ambiguity um, of value is the thing yeah, that makes it right. Exactly, and so and the NBA loves that because it's. It like that's what ESPN debates for ten years on end. So like the right. NBA is not going to take that away, but um, I would like that because I think that like creating a, a harsher like creating an actual rubric. You need to play X amount of games. You need to at one point it was like if you're not on a fifty win team, you're not winning MVP. And then you know Russell Westbrook averages a triple double, and it's like okay, let's change our minds. Um, but I think <laughs> just having like hard lines about the type of player who's supposed to win MVP just makes it makes it a little easier. Do you uh well obviously with the CBA coming out, uh the way that they're gonna negotiate this and and you know, as a sidebar to this is the whole load management thing, guys playing games, et cetera, et cetera. I wonder if that forces the league's hand and maybe the players association hand to add more parameters to these awards because now and I don't think it'll be crazy. I don't think the parameters would be crazy. It'd probably just be minutes. Like you have to play a X amount of minutes all season to be able to get to these awards. I just don't know if if like I don't know what and what they end up picking, but I do sense that the league is moving towards refining that so so that load management isn't as much of an issue, you know? Yeah, I, I like I'm really interested to see what this next CBA negotiations look like. Um, cause it kind of looks like, you know, anytime it feels like the players have the upper hand, you know, that it's going to be a, a tough, yeah, but- tough stretch, um, during the negotiations. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. It will be one where I think load management will be the top conversation of hand, which like, how did, how did that just start with Kawhi here? How, how was yeah, that not a term prior to that? Um, but yeah, yep. no. So I think, I think that it'll be a real, real interesting one. And I'm pretty sure the only way to really do things is to tie, because players are never going to let you tie monetary, you know, value to any of these things. Like you, you know, your contract is not going to be guaranteed unless you do this. That happens to the lower level guys, but never to the higher level guys. So it's probably right. going to be an awards thing. Yeah. Curious to see what happens. It'll it'll be interesting. I guess you, you kind of already hinted at it like 10, 15 minutes ago, but Jokic no, is your MVP, right? No, yeah. you're good. You're good. I, we'll, we'll quickly go so through much. this. I, it's gonna, I'm gonna, I told you everything. I said Embiid <laughs> is my second. Did I say that too? Did you? Okay, well look, I, I I'll I'll just I'll list out some of the statistical stuff just so people know, just for the okay. folks at home. You listen you're listening to a podcast, you might as well, okay? Learn um, Jokic is first in almost every advanced metric except ESPN's RPM. He's fourth in RPM. Embiid is is higher than him in RPM. Um Jokic is averaging 24, 12 and 10, a triple double. On 70% true shooting, I looked that up today, which is just ridiculous. It would be one of the most efficient uh, seasons of all time in terms of anybody who scored 20 or more. Uh, The Nuggets are actually better with him defensively, even though some people like to talk about the whole defensive aspect of things. 
With Embiid, he is right up there with Jokic with all these advanced stats. Jokic is first, but Embiid is right behind him. Uh, He obviously leads the NBA in scoring. He's been a machine on that end. The Sixers are third in the East. He's averaging 33-10-4, and and he's doing it on some monster defensive stats as well. Two blocks, two steals, etc. The Sixers are also obviously better with him defensively. With Giannis who I think is gaining more steam as a potential winner in this category because the the Bucks are the number one record in the league. He is putting up insane numbers in his own right, 31, 12, and 5 on 60% true shooting. Obviously, the defense is a massive factor with Giannis as well, he, him being in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. I still would probably, like, going into the season, I pretty much said there's no way I'm giving Jokic the MVP award Unless the Nuggets are the first seed and he averages a triple double, and they're doing that, that he's he's doing that exactly. Um, so I I would be kind of going back on my statement of the preseason if I'm just like nah 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 he can't have it now. I think Nikola Jokic will end up winning the MVP, but I would not be even remotely mad at jo- Joel Embiid winning it because looking back on it and looking back on history like. Thinking of guys who never ended up winning the MVP but were surely deserving of the MVP, I always feel bad for those types of players because you look back at it and it's like, man, if Joel Embiid never wins an MVP, he's going to be the best runner-up maybe ever because he tr- he was runner-up three years in a row. Uh, so I, I just I personally just feel bad for those type of guys when they have careers that are left with a bunch of what-ifs. And Embiid's career, at least till now, has been a bunch of dot, 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 what ifs. So I would love for Embiid to win it. Giannis as well, it would be cool. It'd be his third MVP just adding on to an already insane resume. So I guess from your perspective, I know you answered it already, but Jokic, I guess, is your MVP and Embiid number two. Yes? Yeah, Jokic is, yeah, Jokic is my MVP and Embiid's my number two. Um, To me, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate because I, I think... I also looked at it in the way that you did before. I always felt like that, you know, I was like, ah, damn, Harden's got to win one. Like, Steph is just, Steph is too good. Sorry. But like, you know, right. I want, I want him to, to be remembered. Spread for the wealth doing. a little. A little right. bit. Yeah. But I kind of, I think I've changed in the way that I see things. And I think now I'm like, listen, I think Embiid's best bet was probably last year. <laughs> like, I yeah. thought he had like a really, I, like that to me was more of a toss up than it has been this year to your points. Um, and I just, it's tough because I'm like, we shouldn't judge, and I think this is where I sort of come down to on it, we should not judge the MVP award for you know, the 2023 MVP by anything that happened prior to 2023, and we shouldn't judge it by anything that's going to happen in the playoffs. Like, to me, it's just, it's an award for this set period, which is, you know, the beginning of the season to the last day of the season. I would love for that, that to matters be true. Before. And nothing that I would love after. for that. I would love for that to be true, but you know, people aren't going to use that that way. If Jokic and the Nuggets end up being a first round out or a second round out, they're going to come for his head. And the same they thing will. applies to Embiid, right? Like if they Embiid will. ends up winning MVP this year, you know. So, but like, and to me, it's just like that, that was done when with Dirk, and then it's like you look back at it now. Now we're all like, yeah, Dirk was very much deserving of that award. Did he flame out in the first round? Like, was that an embarrassing thing? Sure, yes, at the time it was. Then he goes on to win a championship, and we're like, you know what? Yeah, that was deserved. Like, no, it was deserved then too because it's a regular season award, and if the NBA wants it to be an award about the playoffs they should hand it at the end of the playoffs and call it something crazy like i don't know finals mvp 
That kind of has a nice ring to it, right? <laughs> they should have a playoffs MVP also. I mean, if we're going to do the whole thing, let's just add a playoffs I mean, they do, basically. MVP. They do. They yeah, added that. Yeah, yeah, Which is I like know, a useless award. But also, like, I don't, like, I want, I want for Embiid to win one. But also, like, Jokic is, <laughs> Jokic is the best player in basketball right now in the regular season, yeah. right? Like, I think Giannis and, and KD and all these guys can have arguments, but, like, Jokic has just been him in this season and it's hard right. to it to me it's just like gotta throw everything else out and I think that like that's not what was done in the past right that's why LeBron and, and MJ and all these guys don't have three in a row but I think we also have to be at a point where we're like yep yeah, what was done before is bad and we progress right. as a society and we move forward I mean my forever example is Marcus Camby was out here winning defensive player of the year awards because he got blocks and Tim Duncan has no defensive player of the year award but like now we know that like Marcus Camby was a horrid defender <laughs> like his team was yeah. better with him on the bench um in the year that he won and you know because like yeah he's getting blocks but he's not in any good like he's not deterring any shot at the like he's not actually deter the fact of the matter is people put up more shots when he's standing at the rim because they know they can <laughs> start which is why he's getting all the blocks that he's getting whereas Tim Duncan is not going to rack up blocks because people see Tim Duncan near the basket and they're like absolutely no way in hell am I driving down there so I, I think that like we've learned right as Raptor fans Gary Trent Jr. led the team in deflections last year he is by no means their best perimeter defender he just just gambles right. a ton and sometimes it pays off so like we've learned now that blocks and seals don't actually mean anything in terms of defense so now someone would laugh you out of a room if you were saying that someone should be defensive player of the year because of their blocks or steals and i think we need to progress and do the same thing with mvp and i think we need to progress and do the same thing with finals mvp which is why someone like andre Udala should never win it ahead of stephen curry no shade to AI, but like different AI. But like that's just like I just think that like we grow, we progress, we learn more. And even to the conversation, which is what we're having about race and how this sort of plays in, the fact that you just listed off, you know, the fact that he leads in basically every single advanced stats except for um RPM is proof that like, hey, when it stops being a narrative-based award, when we stop worrying about, well, you won it last year and this person needs to get a chance and this and that it becomes more balanced and it becomes more fair and anything like race, anything like any narrative based aspect is completely taken out. And instead we're just focusing in on the numbers. So to me, um, basing it off of the advanced stats, basing it off of the numbers that's in front of you, that's to me the best metric to always judge these things. Cause then you know that any sort of outside bias that can be turned into like, you know, quote unquote narratives, which is why I think I think it was Ramona Shelburne who said she was going to vote LeBron James for MVP one year. We're like, what? She did. She um, did last year. Did, last year. Or last no, year? not yeah. last year. The I think year, the year before, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. come on. We can't be doing this. Like, throw your narratives out and let's focus in on what's actually right in front of us. And unfortunately for Embiid, that means he loses to Jokic yet again. Right. Sorry. And that, and that also adds to Embiid's quote-unquote career narrative. Like, that is, yeah. you know, th these things kind of multiply and snowball together. Um you mentioned the Raptors. We're going to come back from a break and talk about the Raptors. But real quick before we do, hey, I really appreciate the fact that you were willing to come on here and have this conversation with me. Again, I hope that the people who are listening are able to contextualize this, to be able to – the nuance that we have with this conversation, the way that we are trying to deliver this information, I hope – hey – I've learned something today. I have grown, as you mentioned. Hopefully, we all have grown from this experience and we can just, you know, move on from it. Want to talk Raptors with you, if that's okay, though. Yeah. Okay, but, like, cool. no. Come back. 
<laughs> come back. I know. I know. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's not a good year to be talking about the Raptors, but it's okay. We'll come back from break. We'll talk about the Raps. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or in Ontario, download the app using your QR code on the screen. 19 plus, please play responsibly. All right, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. So the Toronto Raptors, um, they have been, you know, look, Iman and I watched them with a very close eye, uh, all 67 or 68 games. It has been a tough season, one that has, uh, you know, in general, uh, tested the strength of the Raptors fan base, I would say. Uh, also tested my own resolve with dealing with the Raptors fan base because sometimes it can be exhausting on that app, that good old app that we call Twitter. Generally, Iman, your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns about this this Raptors season so far. Um, so, um, it's sad and it's bad and it all sucks. No, I'm kidding. Um, honestly, <laughs> I, I think that like, I think any year that you know you're not winning a championship, I think dealing with adversity and seeing how this team sort of grows and develops from it, I think that like this team needed to go through a test. This team needed to prove that this is a mm. core that's worth keeping together. And this was the year where, unfortunately, my, my biggest gripe was the fact that they didn't get them a center sooner. You know, I'd been crying for Jacoperto for about two years at this point. And to me, the the main reason is... You need to see if this is a core worth keeping together. And I don't think you can do that if you're not actually giving them a center to play with. And so these last sort of, you know, 20, I don't know, 15 now, some odd games, um, to me, it's, it's the real test because I don't think that they were given a fair shot at the beginning of the season. And I think that's a failure uh, from the front office. And I think, unfortunately, the front office's failures have fallen on, you know, guys like Fred or guys like Nick Nurse and other people are sort of taking on the brunt of the blame when really the fact of the matter is this roster just was not good enough. This roster mm-hmm. was not complete. And when you're a team that's in the play-in, you're a team that's flawed. And for the Raptors, they're in the play-in because they did not have a center. Um, and and they, they were a flawed team. And right now, you do have one. And so to me, it's like, okay, you're having this adversity. You're We're never going to win a championship this year, even though um, I try to will it to happen. Um, so it's like, what can you <laughs> what can you do to prove that you're a core that deserves to stay together? Because right. that's what this sort of last few games are. And it sucks to sort of frame it in this way but I think this is the way that I have to frame it in order to not go crazy um and so like the first however many games I'm like okay I'm gonna dismiss that because you guys were a flawed roster you guys were a bad roster for a reason but right now you guys look a little bit more complete obviously you know there's some other holes to fill I think bringing in Will Barton was really great but they're clearly like this is the most complete that you've been and everyone is relatively healthy so can you guys yep. prove that you deserve to be together? And I think that like, yeah, it hasn't been great in terms of losing to the Clippers and losing to the Nuggets, but I think those are two really different games. But against the Nuggets, they played really well. Um, I Absolutely. thought against the Clippers, yeah. they showed a lot of their sort of 
still flaws that still exist, right? And some of the holes that still exist there, they played great defense in the first quarter, but weren't able to capitalize on that at all on the other end. Um, this right. is a team that needs to show that, like, one, you need to be able to score in transition. <laughs> like, that's, that's the only way you're going to score. So you better do that. Um, and to me, it's like, there's a real test. And I think there's a real test on, on Pascal Siakam um, to prove that, like, yeah, I hate the conversation of are you a number one or are you number two or all of that, but it's like, you, the the play that you had in the beginning of the season, I need you to sort of dominate in a way, right? I think it's a test on, on Scotty Barnes. You're showing that you can be this guy in the fourth quarter. Can you maintain that level of consistency throughout the entire game? Um, also, right. we're seeing we're seeing them get tested by refs, right? <laughs> like Fred VanVleet and, and Scotty. <laughs> look at those sort of um, you know texts and ejections in in completely opposite ways. One is ref getting mad at a player who jaws at them all game, which is what Scotty does. And I would was, argue, by the way. Just as a side note, I would argue that the Fred Van Vliet spiel that he had last night is arguably the greatest ref spiel I've ever heard in my life from an NBA player. I don't think I – I can't remember one. I can't remember another one that is that good. It's it's so good. And I'm reading Tim Donaghy's book right now. Spoiler. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm working on something. So um, I'm reading it. And it just so happened that, like, all of this is happening in the same week. Because, yeah, obviously, there's Scott Foster mentions. And mm-hmm. um, uh, there's no Ben Taylor mentions. But, you know, it's just, like, this conversation, the conversation about ref uh, ref and player relationships and dynamics is something he touches quite a bit on his book. And so it's really interesting to sort of see it play out. Like, it feels like... Um, it feels like, you know, like an episode of Boy Meets World where Mr. Feeney sort of teaching a lesson and the kids happen to be going through the exact same thing as the lesson he's teaching. <laughs> yeah. That's what my life kind of felt like. I'm like, I'm reading this book and learning this thing. And here's like a real life example of it happening right in front of me. Um, and so, yeah, so like, I, I think they're being tested, um, by refs. I think they're being tested, um, by like just the Fred as, as a point guard and, you know, his pick and roll game with, with Yak has been absolutely spectacular, but like Yak is like someone who can anchor your defense and like be your center, which I think he's filled that role phenomenally. Um, Precious, can you be this guy off the bench? Can you actually do it in these lineups? It's a, it's a we'll question that's still, <laughs> still out there, but yeah. like question basically, mark, question mark. basically the entire um, roster, which is something that like, you know, early on in the season we were like, is this roster is not really defined in any real way. No one really knows what the role is. Everything's sort of all over the place. And now you're starting to see more defined roles and everyone's being tested and questioned in it. Unfortunately for them, they just don't have a long runway to prove anything. Um, and so this test is right now. And I just feel like with every game, I'm living and dying, not by the end result but by the process and how it looks so like yeah the Denver game stings and and sucks but I looked at that and I'm like that's the process and so like that's a game that you can walk away with your head held up high now that Clippers game yeah it comes down to the final seconds but that's a game you got to walk away feeling like you kind of were completely outclassed and outplayed by a team that's better than you for sure and and you gave it up because you like your your inability to score in the half court your um Mm -hmm. Your, your turnovers in, in like real crucial moments, where it's like, um, and you're giving up a defensive rebounds, right? Like these things that, um, really plague the team because they're a team that's a very low turnover team, but like you can't be turning it over in transition, right? Like you can't, yeah. you can't not capitalize off of the turnovers that you create. And those are sort of the mistakes that you saw come out in the Clippers game. And so to me, it's just like every game right now is a test to see. What do you guys actually look like? OG, what is your role on this team? Gary, what is your role on this team? Especially when your shot's not falling like it was last night. So I think 
Every yep. game to me, less so about the score, because if I cared about the score, I would need rehab um, from putting <laughs> myself through this. Um, and more so just about the process and what it looks like and how these guys actually look playing together, because there's going to be a lot of questions this offseason and right. a lot of money I'll- tied to guys. You know what's wild? So uh, I think from from what I took, and you, you mentioned a lot of interesting points, a lot of points that I had in terms of questions. So let's just know those. Uh, no, it's it's okay. Let's have a, <laughs> a, a, a regular dialogue. We're two Raptors. People will talk about the Raptors. I, I will say the one thing that caught my eye from what you mentioned is the failures, if you will, quote unquote, whatever you want to say, failures of this Raptors front office to really feel the team that that helps this roster, helps this core really refine themselves. If you look back to the Tampa year, right? They go ahead, they get Aaron Baines, but instead of they strike out on, on re-signing Sergi Baca, they strike out on re-signing Marcus Gasol, they, they sign Aaron Baines. That obviously doesn't work out. They draft Malachi Flynn. That hasn't worked out as of yet. And I think, you know, some of these misses, like what I mentioned earlier, they snowball into this recipe of, of dysfunction and and like to your point earlier about them not really fielding a roster that really had any kind of defined role this season it comes down to some of these misses that the front office has had over the last couple of seasons has has made me question whether or not they actually do believe in this core and then they go ahead and they trade a first round pick last year they traded a first round pick this year and if you go and look at history of any NBA team that indicates that that you believe in the core that you believe in the team that you're building so you're willing to spend your assets in order to give them a better shot at winning I guess my question with that is it just seems like they're they're trying to find this balance and the Warriors I've I've talked about this a bunch but I feel like the Warriors are a team that has also tried to find that balance of gearing up towards the long term and focusing on the short term and trying to win now and I, I wonder if that's a viable path like that's that's an option you have and I'm not saying the Raptors have to end up picking but I think in the summer to your to your point earlier they probably do have to pick what they want to be who they want to be what kind of team they're trying to construct and, and on top of that how are they going to invest in this team whether it be by tearing it down or whether it be by investing in it more and going out and winning more I I guess my question to you is like what do you think they should do this summer Given that scenario, given the fact that like all roads lead here and the, the, the summer of 2023 is where they essentially have to make all their decisions. Fred Van Vliet's a, a free agent. Gary Trent Jr. is a free agent. Yeah, Capertle's a free agent. They have, uh, you know, the OG Ananobi stuff in the background that they're probably dealing with. Scotty Barnes, obviously, pressure's true. A lot of young guys. I just my question is like, what do you think this team looks like next season? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a really good question. And honestly, I don't I don't compare the young and the old, the developing of the two timelines to the Warriors. I think there's for one, you know, they got Jeff well. There's Mamala definitely a difference because they were trying. There's to, definitely a difference. The, but, yeah. <laughs> Stephen Curry, but like, um, but I think they got John Malala because they looked at the Raptors and they were like, oh, they succeeded in doing it. And I think that the way mm-hmm. the Raptors are looking at it is not like, oh, we're looking at how the Warriors are doing it. I think they're looking at it like we're looking at how we did it. Because we did it, right? Like, we successfully navigated two timelines, right? Um, yeah. And and they did it successfully. They won a championship, right? Like, that's as successful as you can be. And so I think in terms of the Raptors, I've always sort of seen this, and I wrote about this, is like, 
I think the recipe is right there for us. Like, I think, like, I, I think that so much of this is trying to get into Masai's head. And I likened it to Kelly Kapoor, who says uh, from The Office, um, like, <laughs> what kind of man says what, exactly what he's thinking? Um, what kind of game is that anyway? And that's her quote. And it's like, that's exactly what Masai is doing. And all of us are like, what game is he playing? What is he doing? And and all he's ever told us is we're going to be patient and we're going to evaluate what we have. And our goal is to keep every player that we do have. But one thing Masai doesn't do is hand out bad contracts, right? And so I look back at that Tampa year and I'm like, yeah, they got Aaron Baines because I think that they truly believe that you could just get a replacement level center, uh, which is what I believed. And hey, prove wrong. We all Proven did. We wrong. all did. We, we wanted Aaron wrong. Baines. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Proven wrong on that. Um, you need Yaka Pertle, the best center in the entire world. But um, <laughs> I think that like, I think they looked at that and they, they were not going to be the team that gave Serge Ibaka his next contract. They were not going to be mm-hmm. the team that gave Marcus Ole his next contract. They were not going to be the team that gave Kyle Lowry his next contract. And I think yeah. all of those were fair. Did it really hurt in the Tampa year? Yeah, but I think you're like, hey, I'd rather take Scotty than take having, you know, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Ole lead us to, what, 45 wins in a Tampa season where, like, who cares that we've done that? Right. Um, so I, I think that, like, to me... It hurt. It was it was the worst season ever, and it was painful to watch. But I think it's a fair gamble to take because you do not want to be the team that has to pay those guys. And it's the same thing with Kyle yeah. Lowry. And I think last year what happened was the team kind of just played really well and maybe played above their heads if this is what they are this mm-hmm. year. And part of that is that Scotty had a jump shot. Part of that is that Fred Van Vliet had a jump shot. <laughs> part of that is right. that like. Things were moving the defense, which is a, you know a very aggressive style of defense that like yo Fred VanVleet took a step back, right? He's not the same point of attack defender that he was last season. Uh, Scotty Barnes, I think he's come alive in the second half of the season, but we know that from the beginning of last year it was not that guy. Precious Ajua had a jump shot. Like part of this was that a yep. lot of guys were shooting it very well and also were playing better defensively and it just looked more cohesive. You have to have the defense and the defense just has not been there this year. The the offense for whatever reason is just still just like I don't know 11th in the league. It's not been the issue although it looks like it when you're watching the games it's very clearly their defense. And really yep. last year they were what first or second in offensive rebounds. They were first or second in enforcing turnovers and converting on that in the opposite in the opposite direction which is so key because yeah they're still first in turnovers but like it just doesn't feel I don't even know what the numbers bear out but it doesn't feel like they're converting on those in the same clip maybe they are because their offense is still pretty good um and so to me it's just like I think I think because everyone was sort of shooting very well last year um, and things really sort of came together when when Siakam was healthy, that you kind of came into this year being like, yep, this is a team that can do it. And it turns out that's a style of defense that is just not, no one's ever really capable of keeping that that intensity up for 48 minutes a night and 82 games a season. It's just not something that makes any sense. And so I, I just think that like with this team, my my best bet for what Masai is going to do is really evaluate what this team looks like right now. And I wrote this piece for Yahoo earlier this year, uh, right after the trade deadline, actually, where it's where it sort of essentially explains that, which is um, you look at how this team looks around your piece, right? I think you look at how this team looks around Scotty. And I think even in terms of the two timelines, I don't I think if you truly believe that Scotty can be that guy and take that leap like we've seen and can play to his best and that doesn't mean as a point guard because i don't well, know he's, he's there 
I think that like, yeah, but he's the connector. He's the connector. And he, he, and it's it like works. He's, I think right. it works when Scotty is at his best. This team looks fantastic, right? When Pascal's at, like mm-hmm. when Fred is shooting the ball well, this team looks fantastic. When Gary, like, I just think you need everyone to sort of be on. And ideally, I think what you do is you just sort of look at this team in these final next games and say, does this team make sense? And in terms of like pulling the trigger and blowing it up, there's so many avenues. And so I, I think a lot of people are really worried about the 2024 pick. And I wrote about this. Uh, there, uh, I forget what his name is. Um, but he was on Zach Lowe and he's a draft analyst and he was talking about 2024. It's just not the draft. Like <laughs> sell those yeah. if you can. Right. And so like, I think the Raptors are obviously very well aware of that. And, um, and still, when you know <laughs> what the packages are that exist for OGN and Obi and Pascal Siakam, you can make that deal. Because, hey, if you need to start selling off your pieces to get picks from other teams, they're going to be there. And then it's fine. You have all of your draft capital and your draft assets. I think the way that the Raptors operate is incredibly prudent. I think they're really sort of stingy. They're not going to make any big moves. They're not going to make any knee-jerk reactions. The whole the whole game plan is to just pause and evaluate. And so I think that's what they're going to do in these final games. And if this team looks like a team that can really sort of stick together and make sense together, I would imagine the Raptors do everything in their power to keep everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And if for whatever that probably, reason... That probably means trading one of the one of the guys, though. I, I and, and like, I don't... Duck the tax. I read about Blake. Um, Blake. Blake had a good piece on it. I'm not good at any numbers, but like... And here's the no, thing. No, you're right. Yeah, probably, they can. OG might be the person, right? Like, if you can't find... I think you look at it and you're saying, what is the rule for everybody here? And I look at OG's rule. I think OG is so important to what this team does. I think OG is is a connector because he's the only person in 6'9 that you can trust who has a yep. three-point shot. He's also the team's best defender. Um, and um, I, I just... But to me, it looks like if he wants to go and he wants a bigger role, I don't know that he's going to continue to get that here. And so can you sort of flip him for bench pieces? To me, it wasn't a surprise that... OG Ananobi wasn't traded if the only thing you were getting back is picks because it's very clear that Masai Ujiri didn't want picks. He wanted players because he wanted to compete. And so right. to me, I think it's probably more likely that everybody stays. And if you need to get a bench, you're probably looking at OG. Maybe it's because I made my peace with that because of all of the stories, but like that's what probably makes the most sense to me. I also lean that way. Uh, I, I think, I mean, yes, there are ways that they conduct the tax, whether it be trading Chris Boucher, moving off of uh, Otto Porter Jr. If they decide, like there's there's ways that they can do it and still keep OG. But if the, right. if, if what know. you, right, it, yeah, yeah. If, okay. if what you hear about, um, like, you know, his dissatisfaction, I don't know. The, 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 the crux of this is like, yes, we've all heard things, but we don't know definitively if he is happy or not. But if that is something that we should give credence to, then yeah, there, there might be something there in the summer for him to get moved. I do agree with you in the sense that I, I was okay with them being patient and not moving off of OG or a Pascal for that matter. I really didn't think that made sense. And when they acquired Jakob, I was like, there's probably no way that they're moving Fred Van Vliet because that's a guy you get to help Fred Van Vliet. And we've seen that so far. We've seen him clearly be one of the biggest benefactors of Jakob Pertl because he just opens up so much space as a screener, as a guy who can defend, et cetera, et cetera. The, the two-man game, like you mentioned, has opened up so much for Fred, and, and he's he's looking better, it, 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 no And for doubt. the Raptors' offense <laughs> yes, entirely. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. It's absolutely. been spectacular, yeah. We'll see what happens with the defense. I think the biggest question mark is going to be how they supplement the fact that they're god awful when Jakob Pertl is off the floor defensively. How they're going to be, and look, Precious Achua is a big part of that. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think the transitional guys, like guys like Scotty and Gary, and you know, even to a certain extent, OG, like those the guys that you're going to be putting in lineups where Fred and Pascal aren't on there. You have to be able to hold yourself, hold your own defensively, and that's that's a question to be had moving forward. To be Come honest, on, I think even holding words. it on defensively, yeah, I think I think beyond that, it's it's you got to be able to hold your own offensively because what happens is just mm-hmm. getting out in transition is too much, and so it really comes yeah. down to. Scotty, these are your reps to be your point guard. Let's see what you can do. And I think that that's sort of what it comes down to. And it's 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 fun to just sort of watch as an experiment. Just detach yourself if you're a Raptors fan from any wins and losses, and you'll feel much better, like I do. Um, but yeah, no, that's I will everything. Say, <laughs> I, I will I will say uh, to your point about patience, and you know, as a person who watched and and like watched it patiently but also agonizingly the Kyle Lowry DeMar DeRozan era and see them get to the point where like they're they're winning games consistently even throughout that era the Raptors were very patient yes they made moves they made trades at the trade deadline but overall they were a very patient bunch front office wise they were consistently very meticulous in the way they move things they prioritize they always prioritize re-signing their guys that's why yeah. Kyle Lowry resigned. That's why DeMar DeRozan resigned. So they're always the the way that they're approaching what they're doing right now is similar. It's just that it's some exactly of the that. right. It's some of the some of the marginal stuff. The the things that they hit on in that Kyle Lowry DeMar DeRozan era, where, whether it be drafting DeLon Wright, you know, or drafting yeah. Jakob Pertl, some of these things. It just hasn't panned out the way they, at least early on, at least early on in this process. We'll see what happens moving forward. Anything you want to plug, anything you got going on, whatever, any any type of show or anything you'd like to Dishes. drop in here before we head out. Dishes will be dropping soon, and I've got a really special episode coming out, uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, so um, just working on that right now. Awesome. Okay, great. Yeah, as always, I'm on uh, an amazing Twitter follow. Uh, again, listen, you, you always get a chance to to at least hear her opinion and, and definitely, definitely hear the rants, ladies and gentlemen. It is one of the best parts. Trust me, it's one of the best parts. Iman, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Uh, once again, it was it's a long podcast. We talked for over an hour. Yeah, but I think I know it's okay. I think I think we I think we tackled things though. I think we got some stuff done, ladies and gentlemen. So I appreciate you. Thank you very much for joining us here on the Objective Podcast. As always, do the the liking, the subscribing, the, sub- the voting, whatever. But thank you. Appreciate you guys, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Follow House at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gunn on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you.